I'm very happy to be here. Um, I was just here the other night. We did a women's moon um, evening where we did some sitting and a little talk about um, our practice and then did some crafts with um, a few women. Uh, It was a very sweet tradition that's been going on here for quite a long time. Uh, Cheryl Gassner is the inventor of it and the continuation of it. And I hope I hope other people have a chance to um, enjoy that as it comes up over and over. Celebrating the moon is a very ancient Buddhist practice. And um, uh, it's very telling when a great, huge autumn moon is hanging up there to um, pay attention and celebrate it. I've just come back from Carmel from a one-week retreat that our San Jose Sangha sponsored down there. And uh, one of the subjects that came up was uh, craving. I don't quite know why it came up so strongly. Maybe because the cook was um, so good. (laughs) Usually in a Zen retreat, it's very, very austere, the food. Um, The idea is that, uh, unlike the Theravadan tradition, I think, where food is attended to very carefully and eaten very slowly and attentively, in in Zen, we eat fast. Um, And we eat basically rice and soup and salad with some nuts and tofu thrown in. Uh, It's very basic. Um, has enough protein to get you through, but doesn't um, distract from sitting. The idea there is that the food is Buddha, the sitting is Buddha, um, the cook is Buddha. It's, it's all supporting the practice of Buddha. But we had a cook who, who wasn't used to that kind of of um, practice, so we had beautiful sauces and <laughs> really lovely, uh, wonderful food and brownies. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> so the subject of craving came up, and uh, and of course it's the most Buddhist basic idea, the basic teaching of Shakyamuni Buddha was about craving. About the three poisons, um, greed, anger, and ignorance, or craving, hatred, and delusion, uh, different ways of saying what are the powers in us that in some ways keep us going and keep us going off track.
Actually, all of them are versions of craving. If you think of it in terms of wanting in order to fulfill and complete what feels unfinished and incomplete. Or to protect what feels like it needs protection. There is this idea of ourself. And once we have um, erected this complicated idea about ourself, then we need to protect it and feed it. Um, and so our, our greed arises to... Um, support that idea and our antipathies arise in order to protect that idea and our ignorance arises as not understanding what it is that we're doing and the delusional nature of what it is that we're feeding and protecting that the idea of the self that we're so careful about is just an idea. And yet, uh, sometimes we talk about desire in terms of uh, five categories of desire. Desire for food, for sleep, for shelter, for sex, and for being known by others. And when you think about it, those are all survival, basic human, animal human survival mechanisms, you could say. We have to have, even even the most yogic um, practices provide some kind of food, shelter, sleep, and even sex as it arises automatically in the body and being known by others. When we think of Buddha, before he was enlightened, um, living the life of austerity, he had to eat at least one grain of rice a day. Um, He did sleep, though he slept in ditches uh, or under a tree. Even though we press and press ourselves which is what that practice was, press ourselves to overcome our, our desires. It can't be done. And so at a certain point in Buddha's practice, in Siddhartha's practice, you could say, before his enlightenment, he, he threw in the towel and said, you know, this, this, isn't, this isn't it. 
and that's when he ate enough and cleaned himself up enough and sat down under a really good shelter of a tree, beautiful tree, and began to uh, address his situation. And his situation appeared in, 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 as Mara, as Mara the tempter, Mara the kind of devil of us, you could say. And all the insecurities, all the fears, all the... Mm, Ambition uh, comes came up for him. Ambition for power, especially. Ambition for all the good things. Actually, ambition for all the five desires, you could say. For a kingdom. Huge houses. Fabulous food, dancing girls, um, power over the whole world was offered. We find that in ourself, all those, those urges, you could say, aggrandizement, how much we want to make of this as we are in the world, how big our eyes are. But we do need something. And so much of our, our life is about sorting out what we need from what we want. We need all of those things, but we often want much, much more than we need. And it's always a very interesting question to ask ourselves, how much do I need? What is this for? So the antidote to um, craving is spoken of often as uh, generosity, which is the first paramita. To give releases something in us. There's something tightly held in us that craving is a closed fist with something in it, it feels like. And generosity opens it up. You can feel it. It, It's a curious kind of physical sensation that occurs 
here as well as here. When we're able to uh, simply give something to someone else. Because it breaks that bond that we have with ourselves that protects us from everything else. It opens us up to the everything else-ness of us that we try to separate ourselves, feel our separation from. Another antidote is um, careful discernment to really study what our situation is, to notice that we're um, a falling apartness, that this um, grand self of us is uh, a body that's falling apart, and that it's a body that Though on the outside we can make a kind of uh, pleasant presentation and appearance, if we really think about what's going on inside, um, isn't so pretty. When we were thinking about it during our retreat, we had just eaten the brownies for tea and were suddenly thinking about what those brownies were like during the talk. They'd changed completely and were no longer so desirable, so delicious. They were moving around inside us, doing what brownies do. So that's very helpful also. We could create a whole life practice just on discernment and generosity. It's so hard as we speed through our lives to see what, what's going on with us. It's why it's so precious that we have a chance to sit down like this, that we have a place to sit down in that is so generously provided. And in a group like this, it's provided by all of us. Everyone is creating this space together and creating this practice together and encouraging each other together. It's a very, very beautiful thing to see. In Tibetan practice, they sometimes say that the one desire that we can keep is the desire for enlightenment, um, bodhicitta. But actually, as I say, all of those needs um, we 
dance through our life and try to see clearly where they turn into um, greed. Greed for too much or more. And there's a positive side to desire. I felt when we were creating Jikoji, which some of you may know, the um, rustic retreat center up on Skyline. I was part of the group that first saw that place. Uh, The Quakers found it for us. It used to be a Quaker school long ago. Um, And when we bought it, it was a disaster. It was truly a disaster. And it was a huge job to put it all together. And if we hadn't had what was a strong intention, but I think the strong intention um, pressed over into real greed at some points in my life, in any case. Um, I just really, really wanted that place to happen. Uh, There's a kind of craziness in it that, that pushes through what seems like an impossible situation. So I came to honor my own kind of obsessive um, desire in that, in, in terms of creating a, a place for Dharma. Uh, and maybe some of you have felt that about this place off and on as it uh, goes in and out of its development in one way or another. Not that it's um, unhealthy obsession, but a real intention and deep desire for something to happen for the sake of everyone. It's very interesting to just attend to how that happens. Be carefully discern how and sort out what it is in your mind. And not only about a practice place, but about, about your own life intentions how we live and what we're aiming for and what lives us as we're as we're being lived. And in the end, the view is so poignant. I was watching the world as I drove over here today and realizing that this is sort of the culmination of summer. Summer is complete now. The roses are gorgeous. Everything, the the morning glories are all the way up the top of the telephone poles, all, all in bloom. Everything has come to completion in summer. We're right on the edge and we'll turn off into, into fall. And then winter. It's always this way. 
And there's something very, very poignant about it because our own life is this way also. We're like the brownie. We look good and we taste good and then uh, after a while, it's not our turn anymore. There's a coming and a going. And then a coming again. So that's what I brought to say on this little piece of paper, (laughs) more or less. We could have a discussion. Um, I'd love to hear hear you speak. Questions? Once Gil said that uh, aspiration was the highest form of desire, and when you talked about Jakoji and wanting that to complete, how do you separate greed from desire, aspiration, the aspiration part of desire? Sometimes it's pretty hard. (laughs) Sorry, Linda. high tech for me and for me <laughs> for you too <laughs> I can hold it oh I see it just goes right there here we go okay I see okay maybe if I just pinch it is more complicated than it looks. I'll hold it. (laughs) This is easier. (laughs) No, I... uh, Sometimes you really can't tell the difference. And sometimes, in my experience at Jikoji, I would wake up sometimes realizing that I'd been acting like a bulldozer. And... And going too hard and too fast. And that it it wasn't a kindness to anyone and wasn't really serving the situation. So I think I think every moment you just have to keep checking. Is this is this wise or is this being going too far? Getting getting crazy. Because it's easy to get that bulldozer mind and just run over everyone and all for the sake of something right and good and pure and etc and yet we need that enormous amount of energy that that is required to actually achieve something so it's as usual a kind of balance 
was at a seminar last week, and it was really business-oriented, but pretty much hit on this topic today. And the speaker said that um, if you don't take time to understand your values, then you really confuse your goals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, and then yes. you said it in a much more dramatic way. <laughs> <laughs> so it affects every aspect of our life, you know, the attention. Especially in business. Yeah. Yes. And if, if you're rushing around all the time, you forget where you're, you know, what the values are. Exactly. Exactly. And it's easy to mistake things that way. Take them the wrong way. Um, and not mean to. So much of the mess that we make in our lives is made by accident, by not attending to what we're up to. Yeah, that's a good point. Way in the back. There's someone way in the back. Need a mic. Angie, in the beginning you spoke of um, of the interconnected of of us all, of the um, that, that that we are the oneness that, that we are, and you also spoke of that greed for doing something worthwhile and kind. Um, and I wonder if you have a bit more wisdom to share about that collaborative process where, um, where we work together and create something um, in a way that serves us all and um, that, we, that is collaborative rather than um, You know, just a kind way of working together. Do you have any more wise words about that? That's the challenge of our whole life, isn't it? How we can work together with other people. It's the, the mystery of our life, really. Who are all these other people? We wake up one day and, and here we are and here everyone else is and then it's it takes a lifetime to develop some kind of um, deep understanding about that and practice about it. One favorite story of mine is one that Jack Cornfield tells about when he was in Bodh Gaya um, as a young man practicing. And um, he thought he was going to have some kind of great esoteric teaching from his teachers there, the monks there. And instead, they set him, one of them set him a task to... um, express loving kindness to the gardener 
who is a little tiny old man in a dhoti, a kind of diaper. That's all he wore, you know, those sort of white diaper things, who Jack looked at with, ooh, (laughs) just this wrinkled up little old man. And he didn't have the language or any of it. And he was not keen about it and had a hard time. But every day as he saw the gardener, he expressed, at least in in himself, uh, some kind of metta. May the gardener be happy. And before he knew it, he felt this powerful connection with with the gardener. And by the time he left that that place, he felt very, very deeply connected with him. Really felt the connection. I don't think we can think it. I mean, we've got the idea and it's easy to say, oh, we're all one. But it sure doesn't feel that way. And unless we can find ways of of developing, slowly developing and patiently developing ways of really connecting with each other, uh, we'll still be rattling around in the box. Okay. Uh, I don't really have a question, but I just want to go back to what you said about how generosity and discernment by themselves can make up uh, a good lifetime practice. It just seemed to, um, it was one of those little brushstroke definitions of Buddhism that seemed to um, say it all. I like that. Thank you. I like it, too. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> what would you do if, you're, if you have an aspiration which you think is a good one, and, but you come upset, become obsessed by it, and you know that you're obsessed by it, but you're caught up in it? So... Um, one thing I thought of was you could read the newspaper and see all the suffering in the world, but what else, what would you suggest in that situation? Of seeing all the suffering in the world? Oh, no. I mean, if you felt that you were obsessed with a, an aspiration. What kind of aspiration? Um, well, something that you wanted to do that you thought was a reasonable goal, but um, you became obsessed with it and you were thinking about it too much and too caught up in it. Taking a vacation helps. <laughs> Just go far, far away for a while. Your perspective changes completely. And when you come back, you have a choice. You can jump into the obsession again, but you don't have to because you've been away. It helps a lot. As one who was recently at a retreat at Jokoji, on behalf of myself, 
and all the other participants. I want to thank you so much for your work there. It was fabulous. Oh, it's a great space. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm not there anymore in the same way, but um, though I do, I lead a retreat there once a year and try to support them as much as I can from down below, you could say. And one of the, the women who sits in San Jose at the floating Zendo uh, is on the board up there. So I, I sort of keep track from there also. It's, it's still a very dear part of my heart. And some people are uh, annoyed by it because it's so primitive. And so um, it's always it warms my heart to hear when somebody gets it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's almost quarter of. Anything else? Thank you all. <laughs>